the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. All right, football fans, welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. And this is another episode of what we've been calling Joe Talk, and that's me, Joe Serpico. And on the other side of the mic is my man, Joe Brobeck. What's up, man? Don't sound too excited to talk to me. I am excited. You're excited for a different reason, though. Yeah, we got things to talk about. We do. That we do. There was actually, I mean, if you want to call it football, but at least we saw some familiar faces on a football field this weekend. So basically the rundown of this show is what we're going to talk about is the few, because I guess we didn't really get to air that episode, but the few AAC participants that were at the NFL Combine, headlined by obviously by Ed Oliver. So we will talk a little bit about that, and then I guess we'll talk a little bit about some of the spring games that are upcoming, but I kind of mentioned him already. So Ed Oliver was kind of one of the few people that, I don't want to say just us, I think actually most football fans who are paying attention to this draft process, they were kind of interested in to see the measurements of two people. One was Kyler Murray and you know, all that got hyped up and we saw that all over social media and it kind of blew my mind for a little bit. But, who, but the other one was Ed Oliver because a lot of people wanted to see if he could really play the part of defensive tackle and let's just face it, I mean, he didn't run the 40, but everything he else he did, he did well. I'm kind of bummed he didn't run the 40. I was super pumped to see him run. I'm surprised he didn't. It actually surprises me that he didn't. Considering the fact that, I mean, he would. I think he would have blown everybody's number away, at least for defensive linemen. I don't think it would have been close. That's why I'm kind of confused why he didn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what... Like if he had a reasoning for it or what? I mean, I mean, he tested well and everything else. What What is the note I have written down here? All right, he is one of three players since 2003 to weigh 285 pounds and have a 36-inch vertical and a 10-foot broad book jump. The other two players, not too shabby. J.J. Watt, Mario Williams. Was Mario Williams any good? I feel like he burnt out. He, I would argue he was pretty successful. I mean, he never lived up to the number one overall pick. And now, I remember who was number two. That was Reggie Bush. But I, I'm not going to act like I can remember what happened after that to say how that draft turned out. Yeah, you're oh. asking you're asking the wrong guy. I mean, that's so too long ago for me it was my college days there was a lot of things going on back then (laughs) a lot of crazy things going on back then but to bring it back to i guess the oliver i mean he tested well which i guess we kind of knew was going to happen but i think what everybody really wanted to see kind of the same thing with murray was you know they all wanted to see whether he had the bulk that the nfl covets 
And coming in at 287 pounds, I think he answered that question. And he probably has room to grow, too. Yeah, I would say he does. Unless he's going to play... I don't know. Unless they're going to move him somewhere else. Because now... You know, it, it. we talked about this before, that everybody... All these analysts and scouts, they pick new positions for guys that have... Like, Trace McSorley was asked to work out as a DB. And some said Ed Oliver was projected Inside to be a linebacker, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, that would have blown know. my mind. I mean, I, that, that's why I'm surprised he didn't run, because I think that would have only helped his draft stock up. Well, I'm, is he going to run it? it as oh, yeah, he's definitely gonna, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to. There's no way he's not, I would assume. Yeah. But then, like, just, you know, the headliners or the stars, whatever you really want to call them, of the combine were those guys kind of like him that tested well in the bench and the vertical and the broad and also the 40 and they you know that's what everybody's talking about and i'm speaking about basically dk metcalf but then there was like you know brian burns freaking tested well and there was a couple other guys that really really tested well i feel like if oliver just added that 40 time in there to show that he could run a four we don't know maybe he runs a four six four five whatever you know what i mean like We'd be talking about like definitely top ten pick. Yeah, and maybe I mean maybe he ha- at his pro day he does what we expect him to do, and that puts him that guarantees him a top ten. I mean I don't see I don't see him dropping out of the top ten. Do you? No, I, mean, I think an injury. I mean, we know what he we know what he the kind of player he is. Yeah. I think throughout the process, like because I've seen those those uh, mock drafts that had him at, a, at first at 20 and then at 15 and now he seems to be creeping more and more up and i think that's where we're going to see he, I, I don't see him falling out of the first 10 picks i don't either just, just because of i mean again not to compare him but the comparison is to donald and every team wants another donald basically so they're gonna give it a roll yeah so i don't see i don't see why a team in the top 10 wouldn't do that now granted what happens with this whole quarterback situation could play a factor in that obviously because now everybody's saying murray could be going number one just because of his height yeah isn't that crazy uh, it's it's a whole thing i really don't oh if he's five eight he's he goes at 15, but since he's 5'10", he goes number one. I like, keep seeing and leading – talk about fluctuation. I, I saw him as – people had him as like a third-round pick, and now it's all of a sudden, oh, he's going number one overall. Like, when's, think, Who's the last guy that you've ever heard of that happening? Like you have third a third-round grade and then a number one overall. That's a huge gap. Yeah, I don't understand. I really don't understand that at all. I, I mean, we've we saw Murray. He's he's special. Let let's be honest. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I just think Baker is so much better. Yeah, I I think it's kind of like the Johnny Manziel thing, where 
and I hate to like, use that comparison because Kyler I, and Johnny are not the same, but it's like they were just so they were just gamers in college, and they were so uh, like magical almost that it, it doesn't translate to the next level because they you need to you need to have the skills and the mindset and the preparation. And I'm seeing some things now about Kyler Murray that his preparation is terrible, which granted I, I, I just saw a few tweets from people who said they talked to people that are close to Murray or Oklahoma, but they said that his preparation isn't the greatest. Now I'm going to make an argument that, Maybe a lot of people aren't going to agree with, but I think Josh Rosen's better. That's why it kind of blows my mind that people want the Cardinals to get rid of him. Well, and it's, but you know why that is? It's because they. It's because it's because of one comment. Yeah, because the one comment that Cliff Kingsbury made when he was not the quarterback of the Cardinals. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and it's a new coach, and everybody has have, this. He didn't new have that coach has to have his guy. Yeah, that's yeah. They're also yeah. They're playing that card there too. I I don't see that happening whatsoever. I see Rosen sticking there. If you are the Cardinals, you know, all right. Even if Rosen is not the guy right now, I don't I don't say you reach for Murray. He's not worth the number one overall pick. I'm sorry. I I don't think so. Especially with the thing that scares me is that gap I was talking about. How do you, how are you how are you a third round grade and at the same time other people have you as number one overall? That scares me. I mean I, I mean I'm gonna say from what I've seen on the field, I, I just don't see number one overall. He doesn't do it for me, I'm sorry. No. He just doesn't. There are plenty of defensive guys. I mean, we've talked about yeah, Nick a lot Bosa, Quentin Williams at all. There are yeah, you're right. There are a bunch of guys I would take. That someone asked me if someone came up to me and said, "Hey, what do you think about Nick Bosa, Quentin Williams? One of those guys going number one overall? I would say that's a good pick. But if you said, "Hey, what do you think of Kyler Murray going number one overall? I would be kind of hesitant and almost shocked that they were asking me that. Yeah, that's why it kind of stuns me that it is in a discussion. And I'm I'm going to still be the one to say that me personally, I think Haskins is more ready. I I like Haskins as a player. I think, I think a lot he, of people I do. Think, I think he makes more of the throws. I think Murray has what you kind of said. He has more of the, the gamer factor. Like he can make things happen. But when it all comes down to it, I mean, so did Tim Tebow and plenty of other quarterbacks we've seen come and go. When it really comes down to it, it's the guy that can you know hang in the pocket and make all the throws, and that seems to be Haskins. Yeah, and he's got the yeah he's got the body to the frame that people like, and it seems that they like what they see in terms of his decision making, his arm strength, and whatnot. So. For me, it's his arm. I love his arm. I think he can make all the throws. Yeah. That, that's what I like about Haskins. I think he can make all the throws. And the argument against him is the inexperience. But, I mean, you can make that argument about a lot of quarterbacks. Look at Brady. He didn't really have that much experience. And look what we're talking about all these years later. 
And then if somehow I've heard that rumor go around and Josh Rosen ends up with the Patriots, good lord, that would be a highway robbery. They would be they would be grooming for the future for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, I don't know how we went down a uh, rabbit hole like that, but somehow we did. You just let's gotta accept it, it, man. It's gonna happen every podcast. Yeah, that's very true. But let's bring it back to to our conference. Something. I guess I wrote my sheet down basically in the order that they were graded before the combine, kind of like we did in our episode of the air because one Joe is no good at technology. My hands in the air right now. Um, I was going to say, I like how you just throw that out there <laughs> and just let the, the, the listeners decide who's, who's the dumb one. I put my hand in the air. They're supposed to be able to see that. Um, so next in line is my guy from Temple. That's Rocky Sin. And not going to lie, was not impressed with his 40 time. Runs a 4-5-1, which I think is going to knock him down because I think originally he was a slater to be anywhere in the second round. I think that probably will knock him into the third or later rounds because – Anybody that runs above 4-4 just gets automatically drafted a lot higher than these guys. But at the same time, we talked about it in the previous episodes that he fits the mold of what a lot of the new age teams are looking for in terms of quarterbacks, as in you know, six foot and above. It'll be, in my eyes, I think he has to show because he's only really played one year at division one level he's going to have to prove whether or not he can keep up with the elite talent at the next level i don't think it hurt him that much though if anything like he's gonna he's gonna slide from i mean he's gonna better on to yeah he's gonna slide from day two to day three it's not a matter of how far he's gonna drop it's just he's gonna slide a little bit it's just whether he's going to be a high second round pick or a low third round pick, I don't know. I just, I didn't think he did terrible. I thought he would run a faster forty, but I don't think it was awful. I and to kind of bring on what you said there. I mean, obviously, come pro day, that time is going to be better. It'll be in a four four somewhere. I think. I, I mean, if you're going to give him credit for anything. He finished second in the bench, so I guess he showed that he can hold his own when it comes into being in press coverage. But we talked about it. I mean, he's a guy who physically looks the part. And even so, like, even if he doesn't translate in the solid corner on the outside, I think he'll be all right on the inside because he seems to be more of a guy who has more twitch than straight line speed. So I think he'll be – I think regardless, like you kind of said, he'll be drafted third round or above, which is obviously what I'll be hoping for as a Temple guy. There you go. All right, next on the list we're going to talk about – I guess the guy that would, we're probably going to talk about most in the upcoming years just because he is arguably the biggest name – coming out of the conference offensively, and that is a running back from Memphis, Daryl Henderson. Um, I guess the thing, I guess both of us 
we can kind of say is both Memphis guys ran a little bit slower than I thought. Well, I didn't expect I didn't expect four fives from both guys. Well, okay, so Henderson ran a four five in his first, but then he ran a like a four three six seven something like that, and I don't know what happened. It they listed his official time as a four five, but he ran like his second time was a four three something. So he ran a faster time, but I don't know what happened there. Yeah, those are unofficial things. You can, yeah, you just never know. Right. I mean, for Pollard, it was a four-five-two, which I thought. I think we both thought honestly that Pollard was the faster guy from Memphis. No. Oh, really? You didn't think so? No, I thought Henderson is faster. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I was wrong with that. Henderson's so explosive. And granted, like Paul. Here's the other hard thing is we didn't get to see a ton of Tony Pollard running, like, breaking free because there's too many weapons in the offense, so he didn't get the ball as much as Henderson did, and teams didn't kick to him. So he, he I don't know, he got, I think, 14 kick returns this year or something like that. So we never really got to see. So it's almost like we kind of forgot how fast he was just because he didn't have the ball in his hands. Okay, but I felt like in years past, just based on what we have seen of him from him in the kick game alone, he just seems so much faster than everybody on the field. Yeah. So that's why, me personally, I, I thought he was going to run better than Henderson. I wasn't surprised. I think Henderson's I mean, a faster player. I mean, the difference wasn't really that much. No. I guess just to to tie the other running back in the conference in, and the one that really did shock me was the Reichwell Armstrong from Temple. Like he, his forty time did shock me, because I always thought of him more as a, you know, move the chains kind of guy, and then he runs this four four five, which ends up being the second fastest time at all running backs at the combine. Like, well, I was if you really shocked by that. If you watch the, watch his film, he doesn't look fast on tape. Exactly. And, uh, granted, he's not breaking off a ton of runs, and that can be for a ton of various reasons. But it, he just, yeah, he just doesn't look like he's got burner speed. And then he came out and did that, and just, I, yeah, that was that caught my eye right away. I mean, that was for me. That was a number. I was just like, whoa, uh, Armstead just doing. And I, I mean, like the game that sticks out in my head, that thinking about it, it was like I can vividly remember him in that game against Boston College outrunning that defense. But at the same time, like I don't know, I just did never saw him as this four-four guy. To be honest, I expected him to put up the four-five number. To be honest, that Temple BC game was weird. Yes, it was. Because I. I <laughs> It was a while ago, so I can't remember, but it felt like Boston College started out really strong, as we expected, and then Temple just didn't go away, and then it was just kind of back and forth, and granted, and Boston it, College, they won, right, by like 10? Uh, I think 10 to 17, something like that. Like You were right, they went back and forth, and then out of nowhere, it just seemed like Boston College took over. They just started, well, basically, let's just put it this way, A.J. Dillon took over. And yeah, it was forty-five, thirty-five. 
Yeah, basically Dylan took over, and that's when Temple didn't really have a shot anymore. Dude, if you had Armstead and Dylan on your fantasy team, you had a good day. Yes, you did, because I had them on my fantasy team. Armstead, 24 carries, 171 yards, and four touchdowns. Dylan had 28 carries, 161-2. and two. Yep. Yeah, I remember they both were monsters that day. Wow. It was it was a fun day if you liked the ground and pound. Well, there was not much pound. There was just a lot of ground. All right, let's bring it back to the cornerbacks because I guess this is another one that kind of shocked me a little bit, and that would be Houston cornerback Isaiah Johnson running a 4-4, which at six foot two and running it, or excuse me, with the 133-inch broad was also one of the more impressive times for, or excuse me, one of the more impressive jumps for a cornerback so i really think that he's another guy that helped out his draft stock and i knew he was fast because i've been watching him for a couple years now even when he was a receiver with under tom herman they ran a couple they had some packages with him in it and he just ran past everybody and this was against teams like oklahoma and louisville too and he was just burning everybody and then he went to db the next year and i don't know like the first year his first year as a db was okay uh it was more of a learning experience and then apparently this year he just figured it out because yeah now he's got i think i heard he's got a second round grade he might go in the second round so yeah i saw him he he got a lot of love basically after this weekend Right, and like you said, he helped he helped his case with his performance, but I just you think about how Houston was the worst pass defense in the country last year. That's what blows my mind. And then you have a guy going in the second round. Yeah. I don't understand that either. And then if you're Temple, you had the number one or one of the top ten in the conference and only one of your guys is at the combine. Delvin Randall got snubbed. Yeah, what the heck? He really got snubbed. What's Sean Chandler doing? Is he playing? Uh, he was practice squad with the Giants, I want to say. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if he still is. I don't, I'm not 100% sure if he still is, but that's where he was at least. Looks like that's still where he is. Okay. Huh. All right, let's continue on with our list of guys here. And let's talk about somebody who got a lot of love, at least from what I saw from the guys at NFL Network, at least. And that is uh, UCF defensive lineman Tristan Hill. It seems like they were talking about him quite a lot on the show, at least from the little bit that I watched. I'm not going to act like I watched a whole lot, but they, they seem to like him quite a bit. Well, because he's he's a big dude. He's 315, and he ran a, what, 504? Uh-huh. 40 he had 28 reps on the bench and his broad jump was like 115 inches or something something like yeah. that like he, I mean, he another guy it feels like there's a lot of guys in this conference that helped their case no i yeah no arguments there like they I dominated for his, case, for, for his case too i mean he's a junior too so he's really got to impress and i think like you basically just said there, he dominated and really helped his part. 
Well, we're talking to see where he goes now. We were talking two weeks ago that we thought. Well, I at least said that I thought he should have stayed another year because I didn't think he would maybe not be ready for the NFL. But, but I don't know. I it looks like I was wrong. But then this could also be a case, and there's been plenty of them where you know, workout warrior somebody in gym shorts and a t-shirt and then when you put on the tape they are not that good which is like the question when like dk metcalf why why? i was just about to say it i was just about to say it he he doesn't look the part on the field i can think of one play in metcalf's career and that was that first play against alabama this year and that's about it well in the okay so the hard part is how much do you attribute that to metcalf either doing it there's so many things that you could say affected that. You know, he, the AJ Brown was obviously on the team as well. Demarcus Lodge, and then they had uh, who's the tight end? Knox, whatever his name is. And uh, you know, there's just so many guys, so many weapons out there. That you, uh, does that play a part into it more than anything, or is it just that? I don't know. Because if you looked at, I saw. I don't know what it was a chart. And all of the things we saw at the combine, for the most part, he oh, was in like that, the eighty to ninety ninth percentile circular chart or whatever it was. Yeah, I and think then I know what chart you're talking and about, then yeah. like the change of direction drills, he was like three percent, the third percentile. Yeah, so basically he can run a go route. So the comparison, at least here, that I've heard a lot in Baltimore, and I think it, in my eyes, is pretty good one. And you can relate just because it's a former UCF guy, Brashad Perriman. Like, he fits all the physical traits, and then when you look at the tape, he's, yeah, he's crazy fast, and yeah, he'll make those highlight reel catches every now and then, but then he drops way too many easy ones. Yeah. I don't know. It was... He's gonna be. I mean, it was he, cool he, to he's, get. He's a, he's a project. I don't I don't feel like he's like a guy like some of these other receivers we've seen in a lot of years that come in and you just know right away that he's good to go. Like you don't know that with Metcalf. He, almost like I'm saying with Perriman. Like he could go either way. He could be a monster or he can be a total bust. Yeah. I don't think he is. You know what I mean? Like I don't think he could be a safe pick. As opposed to some of the other guys that we're going to see come out, where at least you know there will be more safe. And I also think so many people are just enamored by his physique; is just unreal. I mean, yeah. why wouldn't why wouldn't you want that guy on your team? No. <laughs> at least if you get to, if you get in a fight, you got that guy on your team. That's true. That is true. All right, let's lock. Let's not forget the last two guys from the AAC they were at the combine um, let's see where do I have I always butcher this guy's name so I'll let you do it the, the guy from Houston the linebacker there you go see I don't want to butcher his name I don't want to do that to him but I don't he's the one guy I think at the combine that didn't do a whole lot to say help or hurt himself really I think he basically did what we kind of expected and he's a kind of a person we've heard that would be more of a late round 
maybe on drafted guy and that's kind of what he really showed at the the combine really i don't think he really did anything that's going to wow anybody i think he did what everyone expected him to do he didn't he didn't wow anybody but he also didn't disappoint i think he just did what he was supposed to do and with all the people that in this conference that are that were doing so well he it's kind of easy to forget about him because everybody else was making headlines mm. Yeah, no arguments there. It'll be interesting to see what he ends up as, because obviously his fans this conference. We hope to see him get drafted. And then there's even, you know, there's a couple guys that weren't at this combine that hope get drafted too. But there was one other guy, and and this is the thing I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I didn't really dig into it, but Trevin Tate, the offensive lineman from Memphis, was also there. But I don't see a lot of numbers for him. Like I only found a bench press number for him. And maybe he's just holding out for the... I mean, that's kind of what I'm assuming, too. Why would you go, though, if you're just going to do bench? I That's what I don't understand, either. And then, it's not like... Okay, it's not like he wowed at the bench, either. He only put up 22 reps. Like, okay. if you're going in there and doing, like, 35, and you'll be like, alright, I can walk out of here, because I showed I'm super strong. Okay, like, I almost get the vibe that maybe he, he did 22 and realized, crap, I am not that strong compared to everybody else, and then dipped out. Well, I hope that's not the case. Because 22, I mean, that's a low number, considering that's the same number that Armstead put up and Henderson. Yeah, I don't know. And then... I guess I did want to give, because otherwise he won't get any love on any of these podcasts, but there was a um, an FCS product that actually led the way for offensive linemen in bench press, and not only led it, but he led it by a long shot. I think he had four more than anybody else. And there's the thing. I might, I'm might i going to butcher his name. Maybe you know. Isua Opate? I don't know. Offensive lineman from Weber State with 39 reps. Good for him, though. Made a name for himself. There you go. Anything else about the combine that you want to talk about? Anything that stuck out, personally, you, that stuck out? I saw people on Twitter just getting mad that people were watching the combine. Like, why do you watch the combine? It's just people working out. I'm like, if you what don't like it, just don't watch. Why do people watch The Bachelor? Because it's great, man. Don't you bash The Bachelor? I just did, I think. I haven't, I haven't watched a single minute of it, so I have no idea. Yeah. Or was that one with Charles Kelsey? Way back when. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's about all I know about that kind of stuff. Like, whatever. If you don't like a show, don't watch it. That's the way I see it, too. Some people don't like sports. They're dumb, but whatever. Like, what do people do that don't like sports? What do they do? They... I don't even know what to tell you, to be honest. I just don't know. I mean, I guess my wife doesn't really love sports. But she doesn't hate sports either. Well, that's a different argument. There are people out there that legitimately hate sports. It's like, well, I hate... What do you do? Do you argue politics? That doesn't sound any fun. Oh, if, if, even if you argue politics, you need to know something about sports. Yeah, and but... And oh yeah, I think the under so those people that are like I hate sports. 
they're the people that bother me the most because they don't understand the importance of sports. I'm not the financial throw the financial part out. All right, because it is ridiculous how much these athletes make. Is it though? It is. Is it? Yes. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's not their fault. No, it's not their fault. But you know, at the same that, time, I, that I always, I just, I just hate that argument. The people who are like, these athletes don't need to get paid as much as they do. It's they like, don't. well, it, there's a reason why they're getting paid as much as they do because millions of people are watch paying them. the money to watch people who are very unique because they're in the top one percent athletically at what they do, and so people will pay. Hundreds of dollars, sometimes thousands of dollars to watch them play, and there's hundreds and thousands of people that go to a single game. So, yeah, they deserve to make that money. Those people are crazy. Yeah, they might make more than, like, a teacher does, but that doesn't mean that those athletes don't deserve that kind of money. I don't know. Teachers are great, though, too. Yeah, I don't want to say anything bad about teachers. Teachers are the best. You can't. Uh, you honestly can't. You can't. They I mean, you could say something shit. like, there are bad teachers, Squash but the good ones are, like, the really good ones are, oh, I'll, some of my best teachers, like, I'll remember them forever. They're awesome. Just like you. You teach me on a podcast. Ha, ha, ha. All right. No, you don't. You don't even yeah. know how to record. I don't exactly. I teach myself. I know how to uh, push a button to turn my computer on. That's we about it. Need a new it. host. Uh, just make sure his name is Joe. Uh, we only got one other option, I guess. Plenty of Joes out there, unfortunately. I, you know that's true. Plenty of them out there. It wouldn't be the same without you, though. I know that already. No, that's where you say thank you. You don't say, I know that. That sounds cocky. I'm not cocky. I'm confident. Okay. All right, let's bring this back to football. Fine. You want to talk spring games? Let's talk spring games. Okay, let's do it. I'll let you start with, since I know you're getting a little hyped up on Houston's spring game. What is the big headline heading into that one, other than what we've kind of talked about in plenty of episodes, that being the health of Derek King? Well, I don't think we're going to see much of Derek King in the spring, to be honest. And why Why, why would you? You don't need to see anything other than how, how his knee's doing, and the only people that need to see that are the head coach and the trainers, maybe the quarterback's coach, so... We're probably going to see a lot of Clayton Toon and Logan Holgerson, which I'm intrigued to see how that matchup plays out. Uh, obviously, the new coaching staff's there, so I'm. What's different this year is it sounds like some of the practices are going to be open to the public, maybe, where Major Applewhite didn't have that, from what I remember at least. So I think that it'll give us kind of a better insight to how things are going. So that's that's one difference that I'm excited to see. Obviously, Ed Oliver's not there anymore, which obviously it hurts because he's so. I mean, he's 
He's so good. We talked about him for three years now. Everybody knows how good he is, what he did for the program and whatnot. But I think it's good for this defense to come together as a whole instead of kind of waiting for one guy to not that everybody's waiting for Oliver to make all the plays but now it's everybody has to do their job or last year's going to happen again and that defense as we've said many times was really really bad so there's so many things that I'm interested in seeing and obviously right now I'm doing my position previews and I don't think there's a single position that I'm not interested in watching, so that makes it intriguing. Then you throw in a new coaching staff, and I'm interested to see how things are different with them, how they get along with the players, and then what everything looks like as a finished product, at least during the spring game. Yeah, I think for me, at least for the Houston part, let me see what differences the Holgerson makes down there and then i'm trying to figure out when is because i can't find it on at least this what i'm looking at here when is their spring game i don't know they haven't i can't find they haven't announced their schedule yet because the practices aren't let me see practices don't start because i found a bunch but i can't find houston on this uh they said practices won't start until after spring break which is like mid-march so i would assume that we'll get We'll get a schedule sometime soon. Because I'm seeing that a lot of teams around the country, and that, let's see, Temple's included in here. I'm trying to see if there's any other in our conference. ECU, I see in there. UCF. Yeah, UCF uh, Tulane. Yeah, but their spring game is April 13th. There it is. Okay, that's the date I was looking for. April 13th, all those teams I just mentioned. Memphis is April 12th. And just trying to go through this list for who else is in the conference here. That looks to be about it, at least from what I'm seeing in the AAC. But it doesn't look like they have every single team. So it might be the like you kind of said, maybe the, every single school hasn't listed it just yet. But at least I know me, Temple-wise almost the same thing as Houston, I guess you could say, is all eyes are going to be really to see what changes Rod Carey makes as the new head coach there. And at least on the defensive side of the ball, they've got quite a bit of turnover. And since it is a new regime, there's really no loyalty to Anthony Russo either. they got to figure out who's the running back now that Armstead's gone. Fentel Bryan, who... And broke records at Temple. There is plenty and plenty of things for this new coaching staff to have to figure out. I mean, if you're, and I guess that's kind of expected when it's a new staff. But just kind of like I said, Temple's got a lot of turnover. It's so 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 many positions. So my original thought of bold prediction last week would have never, ever worked out. <laughs> you would have talked your way out of it. I did talk myself out of it pretty quick last yeah, week. Yeah, that's true. I tried to be a homer, and then the, within every second, I got out of that. Uh, I guess the few other schools that we know their date, let's just briefly talk about them. One of them being memphis what what's going to be the thing that we want to see coming out of spring 
for Memphis. I think I want to see Brady White be more consistent. He threw for 3,000 yards last year, but it's it was one of those... He threw for 3,000 yards, but the, it didn't feel like it. You know, it's kind of like, like Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Threw for 4,000 yards, but no one really felt like, oh, he threw for 4,000 yards. You know what I mean? Brady was, a, yeah, like you kind of said, very under the radar. I think that's more of the perfect way to say it. He obviously got them back to, well, God, he, it's not like he was there previously, but he got him to the AAC championship game, but it was a quiet season. You know, he really didn't do a whole lot to impress. And maybe year two under Mike Norvell, he really lights it up. Well, he's got a new, he's got a new OC to work with. That's yeah. the other thing is Norvell's back, but it's pretty much like a brand new coaching staff because he had to replace nearly every assistant. That that is a hundred percent true. Almost every assistant. And then the other thing I guess you can really point to is we kind of thought that this year would be Patrick Taylor, Tony Pollard. It looks like it's going to be all Patrick Taylor. Yeah, probably. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing because I think Taylor showed that he can hold his own. Yeah, it's it's not a surprise now that uh, Pollard's gone. So it's pretty much his backfield, and they'll—I mean—they'll have someone. Someone will spell him when he's tired. Don't know who that's going to be right now, but they should be just fine. The old line's going to be a, a little bit new because they lost they lost a couple guys at key positions. It's going to come to them. It seems like just like everybody else in the conference is going to come down to their defense. So they got a bunch of – the thing with them is they have – they're going to have probably 10 to 12 guys that will play this year that have two years of experience playing. Maybe not starting. A lot of them it is starting, but the other guys, they played a ton. But that has to mean something. Like last year, they had guys coming back that had a lot of experience, and they struggled. I mean, they gave up 447 points last year, so something's got to got to give. Either that experience has to translate into helping the team, or someone else has got to step in and make a play. Yeah, I. You can't argue against that either. I mean, to I put think that's that in perspective. Thing, I think that's the whole conference, though. That's where I was going to say. You can say that about everybody. That's yeah, that's true. So to put that in perspective, Memphis gave up 447 points, and ECU gave up 448. Which, granted, Memphis gave up, played two more games, but still. Yeah, but still, Memphis went eight and six, and ECU went three and nine. That's that's a big difference. All right, you kind of just touched on it. ECU, what do we got to see from them in the spring? Is there another team going through a coaching change? Yeah, it's... And I think that's going to be... I think that might be the thing, biggest thing to keep an eye on, just to see how he kind of gels with what he has, because both of us think that maybe, just maybe... ECU has a quarterback to work with. 
Yeah, Holton Aylers is good. I think he's he's going to be good this year. It's yeah, it's the excitement of a new coaching staff, a coaching staff that the head coach comes from James Madison, who everybody knows their success. They've been on game day, college game day, whatever. But solid recruiting class coming it, in. Yeah, and it's you know ECU used to be this high-powered offense that could score points at will and the last couple of years with Scotty Montgomery it just hasn't been and it's almost it seems like those those 50 point games that ECU was putting up on a weekly basis were decades ago like that's just, that's just how bad they've been and it just seems like the and it good really was only are, one right and it just seems like that's that was forever ago mm-hmm and then the team that's putting up 50-plus, being UCF, they start basically on the same day as all the other ones we're talking about. The biggest thing I think we both can agree is going to be their quarterback battle that we talked about a whole lot in the last episode. How do you think they're going to do this year? UCF? Yeah. Uh, so I don't have the schedule in front of me because you just did that to me just like that. I pulled it up. All right, go ahead. Give it to me. Okay, so I'm not even going to ask you the first game. Florida Which A&M. Loss. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're good. We're done. 0-1. So they play Florida A&M at FAU. Ooh, that's a good one. And then at home versus Stanford. Wait, That'll FA- be fun. At home against Stanford? Yeah. Be, that should be a good one. That'll do a lot to help their... Well, the whole conference, I would say. They'll do a lot for the conference. Mm-hmm. It's P6 movement. Yep. If... Go ahead. And then the next the next one, which I but think then, might and be... Then, and then the rest has got to be conference games, no? I uh, know they have four because the next one's at Pitt. God, which, I hope they go. Which man. will be tough. Stomp them. I hope they go stomp them. I hope as, they do too. As, but... as a Temple alum, I don't like Penn State and I don't like Pitt. I don't like Villanova. I don't like St. Joe's or Drexel or LaSalle. Do I, can I keep going? Sure. We got all night. Who else was in there? Who else is in the Big Five? I felt like I just missed one. No, I named all four of them. That's about um, Let's see. Uh, UConn next. Uh, at, at Cincinnati. That'll be a good one. That'll be fun. Uh, is that then, a primetime game? Do you have a time for that? Uh, it does not have a time to okay. be determined. I hope that's a primetime game. Uh, that would be fun. And then home against ECU at Temple. Loss. Home against Loss. Houston. Loss. Jeez. At Tulsa, at Tulane, home versus USF. Win-win trash. Here's the thing. If they win, if they go, which, okay, so if they go 4-0, they're going 5-0 because UConn sucks. If they go 4-0 to start, then I feel really good about their chances going, which, I mean, we could have said that the last couple years, but feel good about their chances winning out there. Granted, it's not an easy schedule, but I feel better if they go 4-0. But if they lose... To Stanford and or Pitts or even you know, throw an FAU. I don't. They probably won't lose to FAU, but you never know. 
then that end of the schedule gets messy. Even at, like at Cincinnati, at Temple, Houston, at Tulane, and U.S. It, it just gets messy if they're not firing on all cylinders again. Can we say that there is a lot more pressure on Joyce Heupel this year than there was last year? Probably, yeah, because I think people... Because at least last year he had Milton, so like that kind of maybe covered some of his first year of head coaching flaws, basically, because he had an established quarterback and one of the better ones in the country. Mm-hmm. Now he comes into this year and you almost... I mean, it could be any of the three come December. So we don't know if Milton's going to come back. That's still kind of up in the air, so it could really be any of the guys. And then everything you just said there kind of makes sense. You know, they have what was it? The first game you said A and M. They'll get through that game with these. Yeah, score seventy points. Yeah, and we'll probably see both quarterbacks in that game purposely, so that when they lead up to, I think you said FAU was after that. So you know, they don't have anything to use for game planning really. So you'll probably see both guys. But then, like I kind of said, then I think it's really on Heupel to basically keep the success that UCF has had going. Because if there's any year where they can really build on that momentum that they've had, okay, like you said, if they somehow manage to really run this table again, somehow go 11-0 in the regular season... I mean, how could you stop every argument that we have already made? Would it be thirty-six and one? Yeah. And then you uh, you throw in a win against Pitt, and you throw in a win against Auburn, and the win against Stanford. And it has to be. So I'm gonna throw this in there before you get going too much. It has to be a good Stanford team and a a good or a solid Pitt team. Like you can't. Stanford can't go 500 this year, and Pitt can't go seven and five or whatever. Like those aren't those aren't. I mean, they're power five wins, but they're those aren't great wins. So that says, won't help you. Says who? Beating a seven five Pitt team this year was not a good. Like it was a good, a decent win, but it's not. It's not a great win. That doesn't translate. Clemson beating Texas A&M this year, that was a great win because Texas A&M was a, a really good team. Pitt was when, not. It, when you're Clemson this kicked the crap out of them. You're this conference trying to get any any publicity you can against because we're struggling to find P or yeah, P5 teams that are willing to play the AAC right now. So you got to take what you can get. Well, that's true. And I, I will say, beating beating Stanford is much better than beating Pitt at this did, point. Who which, just beat Pitt this year? Didn't somebody just play Pitt this year? UCF did. That's who it was. They won was, like forty-five to fourteen. That's what it was. Yeah, it was UCF. Yeah, yeah. That's, so they're, they're playing the home and home now. Okay. Which yeah. they they got to do that again. That, like it was really good that they destroyed Pitt because Pitt made the ACC championship game. Granted, they got killed by Clemson, but they also got killed by UCF. Mm-hmm. So. They got to do that again to Pitt, and then Stanford. Like, like I said, Stanford. If they beat Stanford, that's a much better win. Than... The problem was that Pac-12 is just so meh lately. Is it though, or is that just like 
it's, well, that's the thing. So they just all beat up on each other. So they're, you know, what I mean, the records, I feel like, don't help. You know, what I mean, so in the the grand scheme of things, they all finish. All these solid teams finish eight and four, and you can't make your argument that one's better than the other in the Pac-12. I feel like. Right. I feel it's like the same thing with the SEC. Like, are you gonna are you gonna say the SEC was down this year because Alabama and Georgia had one and two losses and then everybody else was from four to eight are you gonna say that's a bad conference no you know i mean i think i agree with you that the pac-12 isn't as good as it's been in the past but i think people are overreacting because of it well i just the biggest thing was powerhouse that you know i mean like we used to back in the day you used to know there was all right maybe Chip Kelly era was Oregon, Pete Carroll, it was USC. Um, now I just feel like there is not a team like that. Maybe no. maybe Leach is starting to trying to build that out there. <laughs> we'll see. But I don't think that'll ever really work out either. And then who knows what Chip Kelly pulls with UCLA in a couple of years. Start paying people. Jeez. Did I say that on the air? Whatever, everybody's doing it. Mm, that's so true. All right, I feel like we talked enough football for a time of the year where there isn't a whole lot of football to talk. What do you say? Unless you got more, give it to me. I don't know. You got more? I feel like you and I could talk. If yeah. we set aside a whole week to talk football the entire time i feel like we could talk the entire week this time of year yes but there's a problem people ain't gonna listen to us for over an hour we're that's at. that's true that's true and no, you I, got, and I got nothing else we will uh we'll get into it eventually yeah there'll be plenty to talk about i mean the draft isn't that far away i'm sure there'll be news that'll pop up yep there always is. I want to hear what our listeners want us to talk about. Maybe we could throw out a little mailbag and see what there they want go. us to talk about. Yeah, there that's we go. A, that's, there's an idea. Two Joes using their brains for once. Finally. It takes, it takes two. It takes two. No, let's not do that. All right, I guess let's wrap it up here. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of the Underdog Podcast. If you're not following us on Facebook and Twitter, make sure you do so. Please subscribe, download, leave reviews on however you're listening to this podcast. I know for sure we are on the Apple Podcasts. I'm assuming we're on the rest now, too. I will have to check with our uh, higher-ups on that, unless you know that answer, Joe. Uh, are, are we on, are we on Google and all the other stuff? I really have no, I have idea. no idea. I have to. Yeah, I guess maybe we should look into that. Cyrus and Jared just told me, hey, just talk with Joe for an hour or so, and that's all you got to do. Yes, there you go, and you can do that pretty easily. I try. And then at least follow me at Joe Serp and my buddy Joe Broback at Joe Broback. And until next time, football fans, Ed Oliver will be a top 10 pick. <laughs>